Bay's Tennis Podcast, episode 182. I'm Steve Smith, along with our guest, Sophia Patel. Thanks for having me, Coach Steve. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. I've known Sophia a long, long time. Let's go back even further back when I didn't know her. I met her at age 11, 24 now, mm-hmm. 24 years young. And Carrie Park. Carrie Park. Tell us um, your beginnings in tennis. We will skip the baby food. Uh, my beginnings. Where'd the passion come from? Where'd you get started in tennis? So definitely started tennis because it was a sport that both boys and girls played. Like my brother could join me. My parents dropped me off, picked me up, and it was something easy. So I did swimming and gymnastics growing up with tennis for a while just because, like, it was neighborhood. You know, that was easy. Gymnastics was something I liked. Um, so I started at Cary Tennis Park. And, like, a few little, like, parks in the area, just wherever I could hit some balls and, you know, wherever there was coaches around. But that was kind of my beginning around, I think, eight or nine when I started playing. With Cary Park, for our listeners uh, overseas, right outside Raleigh, North Carolina, beautiful place. Um, Can you give us a visual on Cary Park? Um, I think there's almost, I think there's 30 courts. They made some pickleball, so I don't really, I lost count a little bit, but it's two or three courts in a bank and like one side of the facility is lifted a little bit. So obviously those courts are a little higher and then there's lower courts, two or three courts. And there's just banks of probably rows of like six courts going in one direction and then 10 or 11 courts in the other direction of the clubhouse. And it's just a beautiful facility and definitely nice for the families that live nearby. And you live in walking distance, correct? Yeah, just a mile. It's about almost over a mile walk. With Kerry Park, Kevin King, excellent tennis player, he worked with um, Sean Ferreira when yeah. he was younger. And then he played some doubles with my son, Connor, and that's where I met his father, Bill. And Bill you know, wanted me to call up Sean and he knew that there was an opening and that I wasn't at that time interested. I should have been after I went there and went, wow. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Matt Clore with this. So yeah. So when I first went there, I couldn't, couldn't believe there's like a soccer fields not close by. So yeah. there's an elementary school across right? the street and there's a high school right behind and that the, we can hear the football games of. And they could just walk from the, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, 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 it's one of the most beautiful tennis parks. And now they have covered courts, right? They do. Yeah, actually. Yeah, they have the, the covered courts. They're not fully indoor, but I think you can play matches in them and it's all certified and checked. it checks out. We're going to get into your uh, connection with uh, now your alma mater, UNC. But they, the Atlantic Coast Conference, uh, one of the Power Five conferences, they play there mm-hmm. every spring. Our the ACCs, the conference. yeah. Yeah, beautiful place. Um, so... Matt Clore, um, he went and he was, um, I guess, the director of instruction or the, the lead coach for the academy. And then I went to uh, run a, a three-day workshop, and that's where I first met you at age 11. Right. But you were fortunate to start with Matt because by the time I met you, you were hitting the ball well. You had a solid base. Yeah. With, um, But yeah, I went up and uh, I must have... You know, made 50 videos. There, there yeah, be, you made a lot of videos. There's that, a lot of kids there. That would be a guess. But I met with, uh, I remember Patrick Gibson was part of the group. Actually, he's in a final today, a uh, challenger final. Um, 
What comes to your mind? You think of Patrick Gibson? Uh, definitely a friend that I grew up with. Like we spent a lot of days together because of Carrington's Park and him and Trice and Smith and you know all those kids. We were just hitting balls as much as we could. You know, yeah. four or six hours a day almost. With um, yeah, I remember my last name being Smith with this gal. Her first name was Smith. That's with um, but Patrick. I went a day early. And I remember he was watch. He was just watching practice. And I said, "Why are you hitting balls?" And I think between his mother and his grandmother, he needed a day of rest. And I said, "And this is what you do on a day of rest: is you just come and and watch practice." So that was. I think that for our listeners, there's. And I think maybe I've mentioned this story before with Patrick. What what passion? What what passion? Um, what are your uh, recollections of uh, when you first met Coach Matt? Um, I had worked with probably three or four coaches before coach Matt. So they were all super different, you know, different personalities. And coach Matt was always, you know, on the quieter side, I felt like, but when I worked with him for the first time, I realized how much I didn't know about tennis and, and not just, you know, the strategy in the court, but just the breakdown of how to hit a ball. Like, why is this ball going over the net? You know, breaking down the stuff that I felt like, Normally you would go to an academy, like they don't talk about the, how to step into a volley or what's the direction that your shoulders should be facing, things like that. And me being very, I'm not like super analytical. It's kind of like, that's what I do now as a day-to-day job. Like I'm an analyst, but definitely I had a curiosity. Like I, the way I did schoolwork, the way I did a lot of day-to-day things, it was like, I had a curiosity all the time. And I just thought until meeting Matt that, and you, that, those questions weren't really, you know, answerable. There's not really a, you know, a black and white, this is what you have to do. And I think there is still a lot of gray area, but Matt really helped me to answer a lot of those questions that in my head were like, all right, today, like my serve's just flying out. What's going on? Like, how do we break this down? And he really helped me to understand that at a minute level. And that was something that I really liked. And that's why I stuck with Coach Matt. The complexities, the politics. I mean, I know Kerry Park, like any tennis facility with that many tennis courts, that many tennis coaches, you know, different agendas, different egos, different compensation packages. So, but there, remember, there was obviously conflict. Obviously, yes. Conflict when someone comes in and say, okay, this is, I think we need to ready the ship. And I remember Matt was using a, a trick that I had shared with him from Dennis Vandermeer. One group can do match play and simulated drills match play and simulated drills, which, which is fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like in basketball, let's go scrimmage coach. And then long-term development, fact-based instruction for long-term development. And um, so the largest group was the people who didn't really want to work on strokes. Right. And then, you know, you may, we make the video and say, okay, watch it three times. And it's, it's, it's just not simple. I tell a lot of young people, fortunately for them, when they're shown they're, forehands and backhands in slow motion and narrated slow motion analysis that may be the most difficult thing they've done in their young life is mm-hmm. to change their strokes. Yeah. With, um, but then um, I ended up um, going up to Raleigh with um, Richard Hernandez had a group of Canadians that were thinking about uh, building a <laughs> uh, subdivision and having a, athletic facility or tennis facility in the middle. And there's certainly some ego. They had asked me to you know, run a tennis, tennis Smith school. And they asked me to pick a place out 
and um, I picked out Raleigh, North Carolina. My parents had retired to Southern Pines, right by Pinehurst. And I just knew it was a beautiful place. Um, why don't you give a shout out to Raleigh? I mean, you, that's your birthplace, right? Yeah. So I was, so I was born actually right outside Chicago, but I grew up in Cary, Raleigh, you know, the triangle area. Grew up in Cary, which is a small town from Raleigh, but the biggest, like Raleigh's the next biggest town over. So we always spent like a lot of dinners there. There's a lot of good restaurants and activities. Like whenever you want to do something fun with your friends, like Raleigh was the place to do it. So Raleigh was beautiful. I loved Raleigh. Um, that's where I spent a lot of my junior tennis career because of NC State um, being right there. So I trained there with Coach Matt, and that was, that's kind of where I spent a lot of time. So I loved Raleigh. With uh, the triangle, I'm, maybe you have the answer, research triangle. For the longest time, uh, and uh, I have been called a jock before, with – I thought it was a triangle because of the three schools. Oh, yeah. North Carolina, North Carolina State, and Duke. Mm. But the research triangle. Um, well, you don't really feel like you're in a city when you're in Raleigh. Yeah, I mean, you don't feel like – I mean, especially if you've been to a lot of cities before and you grew up in places like Chicago, Atlanta, New York City, it doesn't feel like a city. But as someone who grew up in Cary, that felt like the city for us. Yeah. Like when you just you know drive to the – airport it's almost like it's when say as they say in europe it's in the forest but yeah. it's lot, lots and lots of trees yeah so matt um such a great tennis player and so many uh you know it was just it's not simple to go into i've heard it said to change a tennis culture is like turning a ocean liner on a dime so for our listeners and matt's been a guest on the podcast he's an excellent tennis player and you know, so he could call the coaches up, which he knew anyway, at Duke or North Carolina, North Carolina State, and go over and and play with their best players. And so then he he went from um, Cary Park. Um, so I, I know when I went up, uh, you remember the name Rusty Backstrom? I do, yeah. So Rusty went up to help Matt. He's stringing rackets. He's right front and center and just – at that age, you know, he's a young guy, he's maybe 18, 19, and the stringer's right there as people walk in, and you just openly say to a coach, you know, the way you teach the forehand. <laughs> and um, it's, just, it's just not simple. And um, again, I think it's a fantastic facility, but any program is very difficult to get coaches on the same page, clicking together. We always say, can they agree that the court's a – a rectangle in the water and water runs downhill. But Matt found himself at NC State. Yeah. And then because of the possible real estate development, I was asked to go to Raleigh and, and check out the mar the tennis market. So I, I went and I um, helped the team as a volunteer. Um, and we had a homeschool program. Uh, why don't you share some recollections on that? Oh my goodness. It feels like so long ago, but then again, like I think of moments and it's like, that was yesterday. But I just remember being with like four or five kids, a little bit younger than me, some my age, um, working with Coach Matt and you. And it was, and you would bring in kids from out of country, out of out of state, just around the world. That was that was my strongest recollection was just when you would bring in these groups of kids or siblings or just kids with their families that would come in and join us. And it was almost like, you know, you. I feel like when you do that in other academy, it's like oil and water sometimes. But when you did it, it was like we were all kind of grown up with the same goals, like the same 
values. This is what's important to us. We're here to do one thing, like learn tennis, you know, be good kids. And that was just kind of like my strongest recollection was like, we're looking forward, like who's going to be the next person that walks in here, joins us, does this. And just like growing that circle was just really, it was something that I really remember. You know, there's complications with, with rules. I think there's rules with, within a team, there's rules within a school, rules within a conference, rules within an, an, an the nation, say the NCA or the the ITA, with, but we had it set up where it was a three hundred sixty five day camp, where we was within the, within the rules, um, with yeah, just so many things. Michael Michael Ogden comes to my mind. Um, he just came, his father came out. They came on a recruiting trip, and they watched a young player from Germany hitting volleys, and then. You know, Matt and, and the head coach at that time, John Choboy, they were re- out recruiting. And, you know, the dad said, well, my son doesn't volley like that. I said, well, he could. And, um, but I think it was a great mix for the juniors to be able to be around the college players. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could just. It was a really unique experience for sure. You know, Sophie and I have known each other a long time and everyone knows if you've known someone a long time, it just takes like one minute to catch up. I mean, I could just mention um, first names, Beck, Robbie, and Austin. But I think it was, it was excellent for the, in the, because in the summertime, the players are working really as a, a volunteer. They volunteer right. their time to, it's not, uh, it's an optional practice. They were there training too. But the, so the, as a junior, you're, I mean, because we were just talking to about a, with a visiting parent from Michigan with his young son is that, uh, I don't think it's an opinion. I think it's a fact that most parents and players haven't really seen college tennis. But right. So you, you, at, you know, a very young age, you're on a college campus. Yeah. I think it's really important. I think that's the one thing that I was thankful that it might've happened by accident, but I think once my parents noticed the, like, you know, the significance of it is something that I would recommend to any junior player or family or parent of junior players is that, even if your goal is pro tennis, the dream should still be the the step up or step down from that too. Like, you know, college tennis is the goal, pro tennis is the dream. I also think that there's nothing wrong with, you know, showing, showcasing the fun, the excitement, the team camaraderie and aspect of tennis that happens in college because that can be a good light at the end. And it might not be the very end of the tunnel, but light at the end of the tunnel for junior tennis because that, that can get really long and and gruesome like when you're in there and you're just traveling from one tournament to the next individually with just your parents or just your mom or just your dad or just your coach that can get tiring and that can really lead to burnout if you don't look forward to something and I think for me it was like I looked forward and yes I spent time with the men's team at NC State but I look forward to being on a team that was so much fun so excited to see each other so excited to train every day like my everyday didn't look like that so it was like something that I looked forward to doing yeah, I think the the term uh, tennis is a lonely sport. It's mm-hmm. a knockout sport. Um, how's it go? Or young player goes off with their parents. They go to a tournament. They lose, and they get in the car with their parents to go home. Where say somebody's playing little kid soccer, they lose, and they go to pizza with their mm-hmm. buddies. Good, it's a good, different, different. It's a different vibe. Different, different animal. Um, with. Yeah, the cast of characters. Uh, so many, you just mentioned names and tell stories. But um, this is where I become racial. The Indian grading system. <laughs> Everyone's heard me say A is average, B is below average, C is can't 
have dinner. D is don't come home, and F is find a new family. Um, with you uh, homeschooling, um, that that's not a simple decision no. for for anyone. But that, yeah. so tell us about that. So, your parents making that decision, and then what your thoughts are on that. What you'd recommend? Homeschooling was a journey for sure for our family, and not just me, but for my mom and dad. That was something that you know, for them was a big risk. You know, they're getting calls from my Nana Nani, like my, you know, grandparents in India. And then my grandparents that live in Chicago, my dad said, it's like, what are you doing? Like, you know, they're playing a sport, they're playing a game. You like, you're kind of wrapped up in that like society. Like remember what we taught you remember, you know, the roots that you grew up, both my parents are immigrants. So both grew up in India, but it was kind of like that wake up call for my mom every time she like would answer the phone. And it was like, you know, people are asking you what you're doing. And she, her answer was, I don't really know. Like, you know, but like, this is what in this moment feels right. And seems, you know, like we can do, we can do this, we can digest this. Let's just try it. And that turned into this. I mean, it was a whole journey that we learned so much in, and there's so many different avenues, especially now, but definitely, you know, no risk, no reward type of deal. I've definitely had some fun with, um, I mean, it's really directed towards, um, the Asiatic students where, uh, like recently a, a gentleman from Korea, I said, well, a father, I said, well, what did your parents say? And he looked at me and said, why are you asking me that? Because I know you asked them. I know it, it goes deep. It's a family discussion. Um, but with the, uh, the Indian students do just so well academically, but it just, um, it just, it comes down to respect. We have a, a gentleman here who's Indian with his young son and, uh, told your father who's here visiting as well. The story is that the father of this young player, his father said, don't you think you're being too tough on him? And he's, he's, I thought he had a great answer. Your father appreciated it as well. He said, I'm just going to use the same formula that you use for academics. Mm-hmm. And it really is. I mean, it's if you, yeah. you want to excel at academics, you want to sell it at music, it's, it's the same tennis. It's the same formula. Right. With, um, Homeschooling is just what it's called. They really think it's uh, non-traditional mm-hmm. scheduling. So um, you started young. What, what Elementary school, sixth grade, seventh grade? It was like sixth high? grade. Yeah, sixth grade. And did you, throughout your junior career, go back to take any classes at high school? Um. So... My parents, like, kind of, like, through middle school, we started this co-op program, which was, like, unreal. It was kind of, like, this flex kind of style. And it was – I could go take, you know, because some science courses, some – I mean, every course, I think there's an in-person aspect that is lost when you're, you know, by yourself in your house doing it or you're online doing it on your computer. Um, My parents still wanted me to academically excel, not just get through but excel. So they were kind of looking at options through this whole process, and they're like, okay – for right now, we'll start with homeschooling, online school, but then there's going to, whenever there's like one little sliver of like, you can go into a classroom and do this, we're going to take that opportunity. So we found this um, private school run through a church and it was run by a woman who worked with homeschooling families and didn't necessarily do it just for sports, but like, you know, there was like really talented artists, there's really talented musicians, there's really talented just academic kids that were just academically excelling at a rate that public school would slow them down. So my mom was like, you know, talked to the principal and was just like, this is our situation. Can you work with us? Like, is there something that, is this something that'll fit our schedule or would it not work? 
And she was like, oh, no, absolutely. Like, we get requests like this all the time. And it was um, it was run through a church. So we would go and it was like they would offer courses throughout the week. So let's say, like, I have a tournament Monday. So I would take the Wednesday science class instead of the Monday science class. And um, I would go in and, like, there would be a lab format. It would just be like you're in a classroom with all these kids and they're doing the same thing you're doing except for they're going to go do it, you know, in – in an art studio or, you know, their Mondays look a little different than my Mondays or they'll miss Wednesdays and they'll be able to make the weekend. So it's just kind of like a flex program that if you're trying to learn, there's people out there that can teach you. It's just a matter of how far are you willing to go? How many conversations are you willing to have? There's always a teacher for what you're trying to learn. And that's like something that I, through this journey of homeschooling and just life has taught me that like, if you want to learn something, no one's stopping you. There's so many resources out there and every day that goes by, there's going to be more and more teachers doing it. And it's just a matter of you wanting to do that. And my mom really and dad have really helped me to learn that is like, if you want to do something a certain way, you're going to be able to get it done. It's just a matter of how hard you work to do it. With, uh, I know when we start talking about your experience with the UNC team, we'll talk about, I guess we could start with your parents on uh, opposites to attract. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> with, uh, but change, um, it's not just changing forehands and backhands, but it, it, it becomes a change in lifestyle. But one, going back to the question I asked you, that I know some uh, parents, once a child is going into their senior year, you know, they, they've, perhaps they've already signed, they're going to go off and play college tennis, they go back, so they are in the classroom. So you, you do have those options. Um, from, you're a taxpayer, you can go back to school anytime you want. With... Um, homeschooling, um, if you could do over again, I mean, I guess before I say that, or have you answered that with, you know, is there, you can't, there's no redo button anyway, but with, um, I know a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, players that go to college early, you know, they, they're, they're fast tracking, you know, the, um, Patrick Gibson, mm-hmm. um, I think an Austin Krychek and Matt Clore, um, uh, it always takes more time. I think um, I know Austin and and, uh, and Matt. I don't recall asking Patrick if they could do over again. Just take more time. But the one thing about time with homeschooling is that say someone becomes very proficient at tennis and they go to regular school, it's a challenge for the coaches that everybody's on the court at four o'clock, and you know, too, you know maybe there's too many people on the court, but. It, it's not just a group dynamic challenge, it's a challenge of different levels. So I think that's that's the reason to homeschooling is that you certainly can uh, have much more flexibility with your right. schedule when you practice. But you feel like you lost out. You know, people hear about the social aspects. Sometimes people say, we're doing it to desocialize, to get away from. Right. Well, I feel like I don't know what I don't know. So it's kind of like it's a blessing and a curse, I think, kind of. I think going into college and then being surrounded at athletes at such a high level, they didn't really talk about that social side of high school that I feel like, you know, if I was at a different college, maybe that didn't have the athletic caliber that Carolina had. I think maybe I would have felt that because there is some, you know, I have friends now that I like talk about, you know, my high school life with, and they talk about their high school life. Oh my gosh, it's like different. It is just so different. And I don't even have that. I don't have that like FOMO about it anymore. But I think that if I had gone into college and and I think if I was surrounded by more of the people that did the traditional high school route, 
I think I would have felt that like, oh, I missed out or I didn't do this. I didn't go to prom. I didn't do, you know, the high school football games. I think that might have, you know, bothered me. But at this point today, I just feel like the experiment, the experiences that I gathered and I cultivated throughout my junior career as an athlete um, and a student was for me in my head, a lot more valuable than what the other option was for me at that time. So I think everything's different for everyone. I already feel like an outgoing social person. So I don't think that I really lost out on, you know, my skill set in that sense. But I mean, going out of the country, going to all these like fun places. I mean, I was still surrounded by kids my age, just playing a sport. So I think I gained a lot of experiences that I would not have ever gained if I had done something a different way. Well, I've heard it said where school is a child's workplace. But so if someone's all the way through elementary school, you're in seventh grade, you have a lot of experience being in school. Right. No, I, I think that it's just totally changed where it used to be, um, you know, to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, from a competitive standpoint, we can get into that. A lot of tennis kids are homeschooling. They're playing twice a day, but they're not really training with too much intelligence. They're just banging balls. It's same thing, same thing over and over again. But it used to be where kids would play multiple sports, which I thought was great, became part of a team, and everybody played high school tennis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody went to school, say, from eight to three, got out, did their extracurricular activity, did their homework, and rinse and repeat, did it over and over again. Um, I've heard it said if, if people were to be able to do it right the entire time, they could go to regular school. But, you know, everyone's an individual case by case study. If, if some, let's go, back, let's go back to tennis. If people have to make changes in their game, um, you know, how are they going to do that? We could, I could just, I think, um, Waleed, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about just all these different players. He was so mature, met, met his parents, uh, made out of it, we produced a video and he was still in the 12 and unders. And next thing I know, of course, they had the means to do that. Is that next thing you know, they had an apartment, and he was there, you know, for two sessions a day, and mm-hmm. he, he just changed his technical base so fast. Yeah. So um, that's where, you know, I think of uh, Martina Hengis, Lindsay Davenport, and Venus Williams. They're all about the same age. They all became number one in the world, but they all there's a different way to get from point A to point yeah. B. How, how many of your uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but at UNC, how many of, would you know, like say your teammates over the time you were there, how many of them had, were homeschoolers versus regular schoolers? I think it would be about 60 homeschooling, 40% high school. But it might've been like, you know, there it's also state to state, there's different rules. So like they could have gone to high school, but they were able to get out three hours early and, you know, train. So do I count that? I don't know, but definitely like, they had that more of a high school experience than someone who fully homeschooled did, but probably 60, 40, you know, the, the backstories, um, you know, do they have old, older siblings that played or was it, was their mm-hmm. father, mother of tennis coach and, you know, how much, how much tennis did they, did they actually play? So yeah, one, one shoe doesn't fit all. Let, let's talk a little bit about, um, change. Um, I guess we could start with your, you have two brothers. We I start, do. start with I as his forehand. I was his forehand. The only reason I say that is that coming back to it, when I met you, you had already worked with Matt and you had what I would say solid fundamentals. And he's very athletic. 
I would say EF on the brain typing. Mm -hmm. And you're that age, 11, 12, 13, and you have to make changes in your game. It's, it's very, very difficult. Right. Um, with, uh, but there are all different sorts of changes. I think of Beck, um, Beck Bond. Um, he wasn't in the lineup his junior year in college. Then I came in and I did have to take the older players off the size a little bit, mm-hmm. go from uh, a G lingo to PG lingo or beyond. And, you know, his last year in the ACC lost one match. Um, but it, it's all about change where, you know, what's, getting out of bed in the morning and push-ups and sit-ups and um, any recollection or let's say a story that comes to you for from uh, the players that you met during that time at NC State? Um, you mean like just from like day-to-day stories or just? Well, you, you know, not character assassination, but just in that, you know, um, not talking about people, but just turnaround stories because I think they think of our listeners um, – you know, it's amazing how many young players um, they've played five years and they don't, yeah. they find out they have a palm up serve or they've, they're playing four teams and they've never served and volleyed one singles or doubles. I think that, I mean, there's so many turnaround stories. Like I could even like, you know, starting from a, like a specific stroke or to the whole game or the way of thinking, you know, but one thing that does stand out to me is that, you know, we had an academy that was run by first Matt and then, his brother, Chris, who took over. And it was funny because I felt like that really shifted like the way that we, you know, worked from day to day. It was like Matt had a completely different style of coaching. They had the same message, but like, you know, different styles. So I think one of my most memorable turnaround, you know, kind of eye-opening moments was Chris always, you know, would be like, you know, look athletic, look athletic. Like you guys just look like, you know, you're out there and you're just going through the motions, like look athletic. And like one day he came with these mattresses and we were like, what the heck is going on? Like, you know, like, and like, oh, I remember that. And like, you know, and we had probably like eight or nine kids, a lot of girls at the time, um, boys, like, you know, and we're always, you, we really focused on fundamentals and technique, but we also like, you know, mixed in match play and all that. But he just had this issue where we would work on technique and then we couldn't, you know, snap out of it. We couldn't be like, all right, it's game time. Let's do this, you know. So we, he had, I, we walked in at 8 a.m. I just remember seeing mattresses slid up against the net and I was like, oh my goodness, like what could possibly be <laughs> happening right now? And like the guys are just kind of talking, the boys, not the guys, boys, boys and girls were just kind of talking about what's going on. He walks out of his office and he's like, we're working on diving volleys. And I was like, what the heck are we doing? And and then he was like, no, 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 if you guys, you know, now you don't have a choice. You guys have to look athletic or else, you know, you're going to face plant. So, <laughs> and so we, I think for literally our two hour practice, there's some videos in my phone, I'm sure, but it was like eight or nine of us. We got in a line like like we would normally volley, except for our line was on that ad side in the doubles alley. Run in, split step, get a regular volley, and then a diving volley. Like I don't know when I've ever dived for a volley since then or before that, but we did that for two hours. I just remember throwing myself onto the mattress. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like I hope I don't break my shoulder. But it was probably one of the most fun practices we've ever had, like, Chris had so much fun. We had so much fun. And he's like, look athletic, look athletic. Like, we didn't like all the like stuff like we talked about that whole month thrown out the window. We were just trying to get our racket on the ball. Like, you know, that was just fun. And then that was like for me an experience that really woke me up and jolted me up. And it was like, okay, 
at the end of the day, it's true. Like I can overthink, I can, you know, analyze this as much as I want, but at the end of the day, I got to look athletic or I won't be taken seriously. And I won't be, you know, seen in the eyes of other people as an athlete. That's such a fun story with, um, the Clore brothers. Let, let me say this about Boris Becker won Wimbledon 85. There's a point where he dives twice mm-hmm. for the same, he, he dives, but he has to dive again. It's, it's the same ball and he makes the shot. And I remember going back and forth to Germany. There's a tennis boom. Graf, Becker, they're both number one. Big Braden set up tennis schools and you know throughout you know Germany. And, you know he had one in Switzerland and one in Spain, but it was primarily in Germany. It's, you know, like six, seven different sites. And I went from one site to the next because I was training the coaches. And um, and in, in traveling throughout Germany, I mean, there was mattresses at every place you went, and it was dive and roll. You know, we've brought this up. We've talked to some you know, Russian coaches on our podcast and with um, recovered Russian tennis. You go, you go to Europe and there, say, I say you go to say you go to Moscow and one of the indoor courts is going to be set up with gymnastics equipment. Yeah. But the Clore brothers are a homework assignment for um, our deep, people take a deep dive into the Great Base. Go to uh, YouTube, just type in Clore brothers, Great Base Tennis. And it's like a circus act. I mean, these guys, they start, the Russians, every young kid should start in gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And I think it really, you don't have to get into gymnastics to the point where like major universities, it's like, well, how often does the ambulance come to gymnastics yeah. practice? You know, the girls doing the backflip on the balance beam and, but just tumbling and rolling and body awareness. And yeah, I love that looking like an athlete. Uh, yeah. But I always tease the club brothers. I mean, one's older than the other, but they look like identical mm-hmm. twins. That's their mom, you know, can you tell them apart? And they look so much alike, but I'd call one the good looking brother and one the better looking brother. But if you watch that, the Clore brothers um, with, um, no, it's interesting too. But, um, I tease and say, you know, they should put Chris in charge of the USTA because, you know, he, he'll he get upset with players and he just like, boom, instant hostility. And I think all, I shouldn't say all, I mean, Successful parenting at times, successful coaching at times requires instant hostility. Where Matt, um, you know, if Matt's missing, it's like he's upset with what some kids are doing. He's, he goes for a run. He goes hit the backboard. Because at, at NC State, we had that hidden hidden court. It's like, I know where he is. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, when it comes to me with, with Chris, was a young kid who was with us for a long time. People ask me about it all the time because there's a lot of video clips on uh Victor Lilov. And, you know, under our watch, I mean, we'd say, okay, he did pretty well. You know, he's what, number one in the country, won the Orange Bowl. Um, what's, what goes with that? The National 12s, the Orange Bowl, the La Petite. And, but Chris one time put a thing, a tape over his mouth. And I, and I, I, I said, that's a good idea, but I think we just poke a hole in it. And um, it's easier to get away with something like that with parents today um, if it's three or four coaches versus just one coach. Um, with, yeah, no, I think of change, um, um, a change of scenery. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about going to Germany? Germany. Um, so that was 2015, maybe 2016. I don't remember. Actually, your dad was telling me, I think it was 2014. I, I, I really, yeah. I, I'm not very, I'm Almost not good at all with years. Ago. Yeah. Um, incredible experience. Um, once in a lifetime for sure. But that was, 
that was something. Like, I just remember having sleeping bags and air mattresses and the indoor courts, which were made of carpet. Am I right? I think they were made of carpet. Carpet, yeah. I'd never seen carpeted indoor courts, so that was different for me. And then never played on red clay before that, so that was different. Um, being surrounded by foreigners, being surrounded by people in the state that I never met, like, you know, just basically walked into a situation where the only familiar faces was really you, my brother, and and Matt when he came for that, you know, that week. And and it was yeah, just was, something. We took 25 kids from nine countries, and we were there for five weeks. And I've done it here in the States. Um, people kind of look at it cross-eyed when you first say, well, no, you will, you'll stay at the tennis club. You'll sleep on an air mattress. You just need an air mattress. Sleep bag, no mm-hmm. no pillows. Pills are for no the, snacks. Pills are for the soft. <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, uh, the the snack patrol. Yeah, snack patrol was the, the bad cop. Let's <laughs> see who's eat, who's eating candy. <laughs> um, but it's coming back to the diving. You know, a German kid diving on a, a red clay right, court yeah. or on carpet <laughs> a little different than an American diving on a hard court. Yeah, it was definitely different. I mean, there was just a different. Like you could tell when you know of the like twenty thirty kids there that like. You could tell who was comfortable playing on those courts and who wasn't. And it was just like you have two players, same level. One grew up playing at the club, one didn't, and you could tell in a second. And it was just – it was really cool. Like would they win or lose? I don't know. But like you can tell they grew up here. And that was really interesting, the way the club was set up. Those kids were so intermingled, and they were just so excited to like play a match. They were so excited to compete. They wanted to play like Americans versus Germans. Like they wanted to do all that. And it was like – such a different level of competitiveness than I had ever seen like growing up. And I mean, granted, I grew up in Cary, North Carolina, but like still I was around athletes. I was around tennis players who loved, like they said they love to compete, but it was a different level of competition and drive. And, you know, that was really, that was really fun. And it really helped me to understand the world of tennis more. With, uh, yeah, we can come back to that for our listeners. Um, Sophia is based in Charlotte now. But she came up to uh, Wintergreen, up the mountain, with her father, Munaf, and her brother, Ayaz. And I appreciate them being here in person because we're talking about ways to improve the Great Base. Certainly, we could have done this co- podcast uh, via telephone. But coming, coming back, I was talking to your dad about sunrise to sunset. We can talk about that. But he, he said that was 10 years ago. I'm so impressed with the um, your father. I guess, I guess you as well and your and Ayaz. You have photos of mm-hmm. – I mean, it's just – I mean – I mean, I have never, I mean, I don't like cell phones. I have just out of principle, I have never taken one photo with my phone. What? I have, uh, for the longest time, I didn't have, um, my former wife and two sons had a phone. I didn't have a phone. I was going to be the last person to get one. I finally had to get one. Just had to have one. You know, there's no phones anymore. People say, my son's at the airport. They're lost. That reminds me of, um, so my assistant coach at Carolina, Ty Thompson, he didn't have a phone my freshman year. So he didn't text. He didn't believe in that. He didn't. I love that guy. He didn't value that. He was just like a waste of time, waste of, you know, energy, whatever. But then we started missing individuals because he was emailing us and that was how he was getting a hold of us. And we were like, you know, like a lot of us don't even have the Gmail app on our phone. We're just like, you know, we'll check email at night on, on Fridays or whatever. We have class, whatever. And then he started, we started missing, like he's over there at the courts at 6.30, 7 waiting for us you know we had confirmed three days before and all of a sudden it's like hey i'm out here you know thanks ty see you soon (laughs) and it's like we were just like and then i think coach ty's he caved a little bit like at the end of freshman year he's like guys got a cell phone 
don't take advantage of it. <laughs> you no, know? you have to cave in. I mean, there's but, just no way to. Yeah. Um, I, um, so I got to tell, I mean, I can remember borrowing one of my son's phones and being in a meeting, some business people, once I was at a bank and I, mean, I was there to serve as an advisor. For, uh, I was thinking about buying, building a tennis club. And I, I did say before, I said, well, um, I have my son's phone and if the phone goes off, I said, someone's going to have to help me because I don't even know how to turn it off. And it was, it, yeah, it was a ringtone and it was rap music started oh. blaring. And, but yeah, but for the longest time I had a phone, I didn't text. Because you'd be at a tournament and the parents would be texting, what's the score now? Well, it was one all, but it's been a long game. Do sad, do sad. It's still one all. It's like, uh, yeah, I, did, I used to say, yeah, I, I read my text messages after midnight. It's, yeah, it's it's amazing how much has changed. Coming back to the date, uh, I, I don't remember exactly when Germany was, but um, I know it was a long time ago because I saw the photo with your brother Ias, and he's a tiny guy. Yeah. So it was, um, if he's 20 now, it was, yeah, you do the math on it. But no, your dad, uh, we had this program, Sunrise to Sunset, to raise money for the club team at mm -hmm. NC State. And it's just a tennis marathon. You go one hour, um at a time, but it's 40 minutes of light drills and it's a great way to teach a lot of technique because mm -hmm. you're going to be there sunrise to sunset. T you, ideally a 10 hour day in November is good. You go 10 minutes of, uh, 40 minutes of, of instruction, 10 minutes of, uh, contests with prizes that people donate and then 10 minutes of s bagels and bananas that someone donates. And it's a, it's a fun way to raise money. Uh, it, that was, part of our conversation on how to improve the great base is that that should be done on a regular, regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, coming back to Germany, um, we didn't have that much exposure to the men's or women's team at that time because the Germans, they go on more vacations, I think, than anyone. So the David Squire's beautiful club in Dusseldorf, you know, no one's there. So we have really access to the club. Right. It just opened up the club to us and we had, three meals right there on campus. But it was like, I think, you know, just listening to you, you probably talk about the highlight might have been uh, just walking around Dusseldorf and being able to have an ice cream cone. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was just. It was like 20, camp over there. 24 hours tennis. Um, I can tell you a funny story about that campus. A boy that we worked with, he um, he really improved. He was ranked, I think, one in his, his country in Germany. But he, he didn't stay the program. He didn't stay the course. And I, I remember just telling him, um, I said, we're going to put you on the middle court because if you, um, if you're pulling over, you're, you're horizontal on your backhand. And if you go horizontal on your backhand, the ball is going to go over the fence and that's where the train is. The train's right there. And, I, and there was signs forbidden, you know, you can't foreboding or whatever the, the German word is, is that you can't go other side where the train is. And I said, if you're, if you do it on your forehand side, then the ball goes into cow pasture. You don't want to be walking in and out of the manure patches. Um, so, so many things from that that uh, experience. But I can remember a player from Japan, uh, Takaru. Takaru, yeah. And he played one of the club players. The club player just popped in and they played one set. And, you know, I, I think the guy was, you know, like 37 years old. And Takaru won. Takaru was a good tennis player. He could really run and kept balls in play. And the German gentleman was so nice. He said, can I play him again? I go, yeah. He goes, how long are you here for? He said, five weeks. He goes, I will come back here last week. He goes, I'm going on vacation, but this vacation, my wife might be bad. I'm going to practice. 
And so he went on a vacation and he comes back like the fifth week and you know, he, he played Takaru again. He, he, he took it to him. He beat Takaru straight sets. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, the red clay is a teacher in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you you, you played a young girl that you're coming in, you're volleying, hitting overheads and, and, uh, your dad, dad was there, and I said, "Okay, watch this." And I remember telling you that you couldn't come in; you just had to stay back. And you know, there's Americans have to realize, and you can train on a hard court like you, like you have a red clay court mentality. Just stay back, no winners. Just keep balls in play. Just heavy spin. Don't you're not even you, you even do the drill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's well, I don't want to play a pusher. You know, to me, a pusher is a defensive specialist. A pusher is uh, Nadal. A pusher is Borg. But it was it was a it was a completely different match. You, you were capable of you know beating her quite easily, uh, playing your full court game. But um, so let's go ahead. Where you're finishing up in juniors, and what about the college recruiting process? Yeah, yeah the college recruiting process. I talked to a lot of coaches. I um I think I visited. Because our parent, my parents did a good job of like mixing in, you know, visits with uh, tournaments. So we kind of started planning for that, and it was like a, it was something fun for us to do too. So like if I'd go to, you know, like if I'd go out Midwest, I would visit Northwestern. I would visit. So I did. Obviously, we got, I think, five official visits at the time, and I went on thirteen college visits total. So like met with the coaches, met saw the school. So I saw a lot of colleges and. Um, we drove through a few, obviously, and so I probably saw more than that, but went on 13 visits, and my dad's ultimate point was, like, I didn't even know where to begin. I, I was ranked, um, like, 22 in the country. I was recruited heavily by just a lot of, like, you know, variant in-level schools. So, like, um, it was just kind of like I was – every time I would peel some – layer of college recruiting it was another layer there it was like a little onion that was just like and in that process I was still playing tournaments competing training you know doing school because I was studying for the SAT and all that stuff so I was just there's a lot and I I just remember sitting down with my parents at the kitchen table one day and being like I don't know where to start I need some help I I just I don't even know what I want I don't know what and and my dad was like well we can visit these schools and we're going to make a list of things you don't want and that was kind of where I began my search. And it was kind of counterintuitive because you're thinking, okay, you know, whenever you ask a college, you know, a young kid, you're like, what do you want? You know, what do you want from the ice cream shop? What do you want from the, it's like their eyes are like huge. And it was just, that's how I felt. And so then my dad just went backwards and was like, okay, what do you not want? And I was like, not sure either. But every school I went to, I made a list of things. What did I not like? Um, instead of writing down things I liked, because Thing is, every time I went on a visit, I could feel that like they were putting on a show. Like this was, this was like you know they're showcasing what they have, the best things. But then it's like in the corner of your, your your head, you're thinking, okay, there's some things that I don't like about this. Let me figure out what those things are. So I, every time I visit a school, I made a. My dad loves spreadsheets, so I made like a spreadsheet of like things. Okay, I don't like this. I don't like this. I kind of like this, but I don't really understand this. So things like that, and it sounds picky, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like I hated it. It was just that this is what I didn't like. And then I started realizing through that, through that journey of making a list, I realized, okay, it seems like what I don't like all the small schools have. So I was like, I think what I like is a bigger school. And I didn't realize that. And I was like, okay, you know what, this is what I have in common. Like 
you know, I liked, I liked that Northwestern feel. I liked the NC state feel. I liked that U of I feel. So we started realizing, okay, maybe it's the bigger schools that are attracting me that, that, so we started visiting those. So U of I Illinois or Indiana? Illinois. Illinois. And, um, so that kind of like helped me to decide, okay, I want to go to a big school. Now, after that, there's still a bunch of big schools recruiting me. So I just had to narrow it down that way. And to me, and for me, it was really important that the girls got along and the coaches were nice. And that was kind of like kind, like, you know, well-mannered. It wasn't like, I just don't do well with like yelling and the abrasiveness. Like I, I grew up in that environment, but it wasn't like, that's what I enjoyed. And that's how I re- like, you know, reciprocated, you know, good tennis with. So I think in my head, I was like, okay, I need to go to a school where the practices are a little more, not laid back, like intense, but like not in the intense of yelling, screaming, you know, doing this. So I would go drop into practices without telling coaches. So like, it would be like, if I visited U of I at the beginning of a tennis tournament, I would go on Monday and see if I can catch a practice because it's a public court, you know, you can walk in, whatever. So that helped me to understand like, what does a practice look like that they're not, you know, putting on a show for? And that was really helpful. So I realized that and then I kind of narrowed it down to, to obviously the offers I had like Northwestern, Texas Tech, uh, Furman, but it was a little too small. But I liked the area and the school was beautiful. Um, so those were the big ones: Northwestern, Texas Tech, and the Ivy Leagues. I visited the Ivy Leagues, but I didn't really like the vibe of them. I didn't like the, you know, I hate to say that I didn't like the girls. It wasn't that I didn't like the girls. I just didn't like their energy. I didn't like their enthusiasm when it came to tennis. I just felt like they were just you know, really focused on academics and tennis was just something they did on the side. And that was just not my, that's not how I felt about tennis. So I kind of canceled those. I visited Yale, Dartmouth and Brown. And so I didn't go to, I decided, okay, I don't want to go to those. So then I crossed those off the list. So it was kind of just came down to Texas Tech, Northwestern and, um, and U of I, University of Illinois. And they were constantly talking to me and I remember receiving a handwritten letter after hard courts from the assistant coach at University of North Carolina. And I was like, you know, in my head, I, I read it. It was, a, it was such a well-written note. Like, it was just like, I love your doubles. I want you to come visit, you know, all these things. And it was just like, I showed my parents and I was like, and I was like, oh, like I got this. And I mean, they thought it was a lot bigger deal than I thought, which in my head, like has never happened before. Like I always am the one like super excited about something, show my parents and they're like, "Mm, I don't know if this really, you know, so that was, that was definitely different for me. I was like, okay, why does this matter that much? Like UNC is a number one in the country. I'm number 22. And I was always under the impression that like, and I think it it is still true is that you kind of go to the school that you belong at in the sense of numbers too. So like, let's say you're 22 in the country, you should probably go to a school between 15 and 30. That can be your range. So that's kind of how I dictated like what schools were interested in me, what, you know, and I think it it helps like that helps to help you grow as a player and things. So like if you're a top 10 player, you can go to a top 10 school. And that's just in my head how how it kind of. So I was like, okay, UNC being number one in the country. I was like, they're definitely this is like a little pity, you know, pity card because I'm in state, you know, whatever. And my dad was like, no, you need to send an email one, thanking them to like try to set up a, you know, a call. If they, if they took the time to write you a note, then you should probably take the time to meet with them. And it's right in our backyard. So I was like, okay, that's fine. That's easy. So I did that. And they set up a, they set up a meeting in, immediately, which was like surprising again. 
I'm still talking to Illinois, Texas Tech, and Northwestern in this process. So I go and I'm meet with coaches and they're so nice. They give me the whole tour of like Carolina. I mean, it looked beautiful. I was just like, wow. Like, and growing up, like I was the biggest fan of Carolina out of Duke and NC state. Carolina was my school. Like that's the school that I supported. That's school I want to go to. But in my head, if I wanted to play tennis, it wasn't an option for me. All of a sudden after that, like tour, I was like, if this is an option, like I'm taking it. But, you know, obviously like I talked to the coaches, we had a sit down discussion after their practice. And he was like, you're you're number three on our list of recruits and we and we have a scholarship that we want to offer you but we are still going to offer it to two people before you one person already you know declined the offer isn't coming two people so I'm in my head like there's a chance like what how is this even possible you know so I you know I leave that visit and I'm, I was like, I'll stay in contact. Like I'll keep, so I emailed him after, after matches, after tournaments. And I'll just be like, Hey, like, what's the update, you know? And he was just giving me like, Hey, this person, he didn't tell me the people they were, but he would be like X, Y, and Z is visiting, um, on this date. So we'll keep you updated. So that was exciting. I was like, felt like I was in the loop. I, um, was still, you know, I, my, in my head, I was like, I'm still like, you know, still actively getting recruited by all these other, these three other schools. But I, I basically went to another visit. I think I had a visit at Yale that I had, I canceled them out of my list because I, you know, like in my head I was done. Like I didn't want to go to Ivy's, but I still visited because I had set up an official visit. So I remember being on my visit at Yale and getting a call from coach. And I was like, I can't answer this. Like I'm on a tour but I'm thinking in my head, like, this is the day after the girl was supposed to visit. So either this is a yes or a no that I can go to Carolina. So I remember calling him right before lunch with the Yale girls and being like, you know, what's what's it? And he was like, we want to offer you this, like the girl that we gave before, like, you know, declined the offer or whatever. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like, this is really happening. My parents are nowhere to be found because, you know, they I was having lunch with the girls. I was like, OK, um, can you give me like till end of day? I'm on another visit right now. But. Um, I can be there like first thing tomorrow morning. And I literally went and it was the day that they had won like NCAA's uh, men's basketball had won the championship. I think March 17th. I don't know exactly the date, but um, I just remember going to UNC, signing a piece of paper and just verbally committing on the phone that night at Yale and just being like, okay, I'm, I'm going. And that was, that was it. And I had to, before I obviously, you know, posted on, social media and like told other, like I had to tell Texas Tech, Northwestern and the University of Illinois and and Furman and that, and then on the phone that, Hey, like I, you have an outstanding offer for me that I just politely, like, you know, respectfully want to be like, I took another offer and I had to do that. That was, those were the hardest four phone calls in my life. Like I genuinely didn't know how to even begin because it's like, they spent a lot of, you know, resources, energy, time, and they committed to come watching me play. And it was just kind of like, it was really hard for me to have those phone calls, even though I was so excited about Carolina. I, those were really some really hard phone calls to have. And honestly, like a lot of most of those coaches told me like, you know, you made the right decision. And like, this is something that we're really excited for you about. And obviously like some had opinions and things to say, but others like, you know, were very supportive, but it was definitely those, those four phone calls were really hard. With so many things. Um, it is a show It is a show. And, and, you know, right, rightfully so. They're, you know, okay, this is our facility, this is our program, and they're they're putting out the red carpet. 
I think another thing to come back to is the, the schools that you're mentioning for, for parents listening in juniors. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody, I think back in your day, it was more tennisrecruiting.net. Are you a right. blue chip, five-star, four-star, three-star? That still exists, uh, but you don't really hear that so much anymore. People used to be obsessed by that, but they're really obsessed by the UTR, especially because of the decimal point. You're a 10, you're an 11. It shouldn't be your... Uh, Dave Fish says it so well. It's not a rating. It, it is a ranking if you're a 10.92. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the invisible numbers. Uh, you, people really need to focus on the GPA and the SAT. If you don't have those numbers, there's almost 5,000 colleges. And if you don't have really high uh, test scores, high grades, you're, you're not going to uh, go visit the Ivies. Um, I don't know um, your coach, Brian Calvis. Yeah, Calvis. You know, obviously, I know so much about him by just having, you know, he's been in a leadership role between, you know, after he played at Notre Dame, he played with his brother, um, not a big guy, so he played Division One tennis. Um, then he was at Notre Dame as a coach, then he was at um, Wayman Mary, but he's been at UNC for a long time. We'll get into UNC, but I, he, co- he recruited a girl by the name of Megan Broderick, and you go to our course, Tennis Intelligence Apply, you'll you'll see her hit the ball. She hit the ball really well. She was top 10 in the country. But it was so refreshing. He said, she's number three on our list, and we only have two spots. So, you know, he just he, I mean, all the coaches I talk to, you don't really hear that. Yeah. But uh, tell us a story about picking up balls. That's a great story for, uh, you know, people who, uh, excuse me, as far as work ethic on your recruiting trip. Oh, yeah. So my first visit when he was, you know, after I had received that letter and I set up a visit at the girls, he set up the visit during girls practice. So we got to end the visit with like a sit down discussion at the indoor courts and the girls were playing. And I mean, there was just three, three courts. We always practice on the three courts on the left side of the facility when you walk in and they had three baskets set up and they were just, you know, just hitting like a lot of balls that day. And it was just reps and reps and reps. And after practice was over, Coach was obviously downstairs, you know, talking to the girls. And um, I just went down there and I was like, just started picking up balls and helping them pick up and talk to some of the girls that were there. And it was fun. And it was just not even like I didn't even have a second thought. I was just like, okay, I'll just go help them pick up. And then on my second visit, when he when I came to sign, he said, I don't think I've ever had a recruit pick up tennis balls on their visit. And I was like, I didn't even, one, think he noticed, two, notice myself and three I was just shocked like why aren't girls you know picking up balls like I feel like when there's a million balls out there and seven or six girls practicing and two coaches I mean the least you could do is like help out with you know you know what I mean so that was kind of just that was super crazy and he always tells that story whenever he talks about my recruiting visit because everyone has a special moment that you know makes them who they are or like something funny that happened or anything but like that's always the story he tells and it's uh you know it's a great story Pick up all. I think it's a character develop a, a character assessment. You know, we teach teach people how to run, run like an athlete. You know, the alignment of your your arms and your your knee, your legs, I should say, and and uh, yeah, run like run, run like you're an Olympian. And uh, certainly met a few people over the years. So it's time to pick up balls. And uh, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I, I, I guess got to go to the bathroom with uh, your. Um, your brother, I, is just in the last 48 hours, just amazed at his memory. And I go, no, you're making that up. I didn't say that. But I, I do it all the time where maybe someone's on a, a one court and they're playing a set and someone else is on a court and they're picking up, they're hitting tons of balls. 
and you know, okay, the, the set's over, like everybody pick up balls. And I, you know, first time visitors will say, I didn't hit any of those balls. <laughs> and it's like wrong thing to say. Uh, yes, don't. <laughs> wrong, put your head down and put your head down and run. Um, you know, your, your story is amazing. I think that your story could one day help you be a CEO of a company with your role with a team. But because of COVID, you were at UNC for five years. And we always say days are long and decades are short. So you're there half a decade. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy to think. I'm going to be 70 at the end of the year. That's only seven decades. If you look at it that way, it's like it's just seven. Um, but um, tell us your progression. I mean, obviously you went in when you, you know, we'll talk about your your knowledge of brain typing, your knowledge of stroke production and strategy. But as a freshman, you went in and you, obviously you didn't have a speaking part. I know yeah. I, I played college hockey. The freshmen weren't allowed to talk in the locker room. So yeah. what, what was your progression going in as a freshman? You're, you're coming from a, and I re, I'll say this about the homeschooling program. We did have a lot of visitors, but I remember one time it was like, poor Sophia, she's with all these young boys and you know, most unmanageable animal of all is a teenage boy. And, you know, what, how's it go? Uh, why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice his 12-year-old son? Because at 13, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. <laughs> so I remember, you know, for, from a fitness standpoint, I said, Sophia, what you need to do. do and I, I remember some of the, a couple of guys go, can I go? I go, no. And you just would have you run on your own. Go get the first thing in the morning, you know, go go run, come back. And then at the end of the day, go run. But But there was a time where you were much older and it was like, you know, it was a small program. Say there's eight, there eight players. There's uh, Sophia's like several years older and she's the only only gal. And then when, when summer was over, there was a lot of times where the players, the college players weren't around us. But um, yeah, go ahead and comment on your progression as a, f- a freshman. Yeah, no, I just remember coming in as a freshman. I was scared. I, I think like a good word to describe that is like scared and uncomfortable. I was like, you know, as much as the coaches wanted me there and, you know, like thought I belong there. I felt like, am I, do I belong here? You know, like these girls are top five in the country. They're came from just winning hardcore nationals. Like, you know, they came from playing the four, you know, the four grand slams juniors. Like I didn't have those experiences. And so I just felt like, did I fit in? Like, how do I fit in? How can I fit in? What can I do to be better? Like it's, I remember having, Oh my goodness. So when I was a freshman, I came in and obviously like, you know, I practice, I work really hard. I practice, like I was just struggling. Like I was struggling to keep up with the intensity of the girls. Like it was like, they were just hitting. And I I grew up with playing with boys, but boys hit heavier. Like they give you more time. Like there is a difference between playing a girl that's uh, at a high level versus a boy at a high level. Like I'm, I grew up playing with boys. They hit a little heavier. Yeah. They take time away by coming forward, but like you're getting a different ball. They slice more. They, you know, they mix it up. I was playing with girls and they are just hitting line drives in practice. And I was just thinking in my head, like, how am I supposed to get these balls back at a high level? So I'm practicing with girls that are top 10 in the country every single day. And I guess in that moment, I just felt like this is all coming at me at once. This is hard. I remember going to the locker room, just not saying a word, just like leaving and just being like, okay, I just need to get through day by day. It was like, you know, like just need to, and I, I was like, I remember sitting down with the coaches and I was like, coaches, like, I'm really struggling. Like I'm, I, I've never really struggled in that sense before. Like I've never really struggled in the sense of like hitting balls and, and, you know, staying competitive. And they were like, no, we recruited you because you're scrappy. You can get balls back. You're good at doubles. Like, you know how to slice, you know, you 
you can hit that heavy ball. Like that is why we recruited you. So you need to come out here and do that. And I was like, okay, but like, I'm going to get eaten up if I'm like slicing or if I knock up a heavy ball, like, and, and they're like, none of our girls are going to come and take your ball out of the air. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? And so I just like that, like grew on me a little bit. I didn't, I didn't really believe them. I was just like still going out there trying to bang, bang balls with these girls that are a foot taller than me, hit harder, played bigger players, you know, growing up. So that was hard. I had, you know, a bit of an identity crisis, but my wake up call was when one of the juniors, not even the seniors, one of the juniors was like, Hey, Soph, do you have a minute? Like, we just want to talk to you. Or I just want to talk to you. Took me aside after practice one day and was like, Hey, like, we don't appreciate you tanking. I was like, tanking. I was like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I I just remember I had just had a meeting with coaches like a week or two before that telling them I'm working too hard, like, and I still can't keep up. What do I do? So I'm in my head, like, oh my goodness, I'm about to be kicked off this team. Like the girls are clearly talking about me and not great things. And, and it's been chalked up to Sophia's tanking is like my worst nightmare because I'm like, this is the hardest I've ever worked so for me to be like, you know, under this umbrella of not trying enough, I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's it. This is it for me. Like, so I remember coming to practice the next day, like eyes were swollen from crying. Cause I was like, I don't want to go to practice. Like I can't go to practice. Cause like can't work any harder than this. So I remember coach noticed and he was like, he took me aside. And he's like, what's going on? I was like, the girls think I'm tanking. And, I, and he was like, you're not tanking. I know you're not tanking, you know? And I was like, does it matter? Like there's nine, 10 girls around me that think I'm not trying. And I don't know how to do that. And he was like, well, maybe Sophie's like, use this opportunity to play your game, play like the way that you want to play. And I promise you it won't come off as tanking. So, oh my goodness. I was like, he's like, we're going to play points soon. Like, you know, this is going to be a point play practice. So go out there, get every ball back. Don't let any ball go by you. I don't care if you're 10 feet behind the baseline. If you need to hit like all second serves to get that serve in, do it. You know, you're going to slice as much as you can. You're going to like hit heavy, like hit as heavy as you can. I think my life changed that day. Like it was like, I believe that was my sophomore year, first semester fall. And there was like, I remember that practice vividly. I don't really remember like what month, I think it was September, but oh my gosh, I was beating the girls. I was like, what the heck? I was like, these girls, I mean, they were mad. They were mad at themselves. They were just like, what's going on? And, you know, kind of upsets me that it took one of the juniors to come to me and be like, Hey, why aren't you trying at practice? Like what's going on? Is there anything we can help you with type of, you know, conversation? But that was eye-opening. And it, it does make me upset that she probably thinks that's the reason that it is. But like I just, you know, that wasn't in my head. That wasn't, you know, like that conversation was the reason that I turned it around, but it wasn't the reason that I play a certain way. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like I think in her head she was like, "Oh, well, now Soph's like, you know, slicing and lobbing or whatever. That's just how I would play. Like, that's like, I was always dicing. I was always changing pace. Like I didn't have a big first serve. So I would hit kick serves. Like coach was like, kick serve, come in, like play like the girl that we recruited. Don't play like the girl that's trying to keep up. And I was like, okay. And that's when it kind of like, I had a wake up moment and um, definitely changed the way I like competed, the way I carried myself. And I remember that moment like super vividly. With, um, from the get-go, though, I remember uh, Brian Calvis, uh, you know, talking to us about a recruit and being so honest. But he was honest from the get-go, saying we recruited you for doubles. Yeah. And uh, wasn't there a time early where you 
were put in the lineup and you said, coach, I, I need more time. I'm not ready. Wasn't that early on? Yeah, that was around that time when um he was kind of like putting me into the mix and I just did it. I just felt like I was letting the team down, like left and right. I was like, this is not it. This is not enjoyable. I was like, I think I need more time. And, and granted, I didn't play a lot of like matches, like, you know, throughout my like college career. It's not like I had like, you know, a hundred wins or even a hundred matches. I had like probably like 20, 30, which is like not a lot. So for being somewhere five years, um, I am like, I, in hindsight, I am a little disappointed that I felt like, okay, if he had recruited me for doubles, I played a certain way. I wasted a year trying to fit in. And I wish I hadn't done that because I think it set my tennis back. Cause imagine playing not the way you like to play, playing a different way. I mean, like I'm five one, I don't, you know, I never was a big hitter and I spent a year throwing my shoulder out on a serve. I spent a year trying to like hit line drives. I set myself back a lot and my confidence back a lot. And so that was a mistake. Like I wish that there was a little person like in my head that was like, you can beat these girls. Like you did beat these girls. You had moments in juniors where like you played top girls and you beat them not conventionally, but you beat them. So like, that's how I wish that I had come into college. Cause I think it would have helped me to set me up to be a better competitor for Carolina. I know this would have helped out. Uh, I would like to state that if critics of the great base, I would be the biggest critic of the great base. And one thing is, you know, society, it, to me, it was so much better years ago where kids would take a private lesson and they hit with anybody and everybody. And in that small academy we had at NC State, because um, kids get programmed out. They're, you know, they're, they, they don't play that many sets. They're going to their practice every day. And... Um, you would have been practicing for a long time with people who were being taught the same way you were. And if you go out and you play, you know, so if you're training with people, you know, our, our players are not going to, um, if they're well-schooled, they're not going to change the direction of the ball from the neutral defense or the red zone. It's a high contact point. They're not going to rip it up the line. Right. And so I'm sure that kept you, that put you on your heels a little bit. There's all of a sudden a you're playing. Bit, but hindsight's always 2020. And I yeah. feel like, you know, like the reason I could slice and I, I did know how to volley and, you know, I did know how to fix, tweak things in my game when things were going wrong was because of those experiences through the great base and through training a certain way. So I think like, I think there's give or take. And I think hindsight's always twenty twenty, but like yeah. definitely wish that I had spent more time with girls at that level before college, because it would have helped me to, you know, be more equipped to handle that and just understand that there's different ways. Like we just had a team of nine big hitters, but there was one that wasn't and that's okay. And that's kind of like where I struggled a little bit. But the junior, um, not the junior tennis player, but the junior in college, your teammate, they just presented a problem and they, they didn't pre present a solution. No, they was, presented a big problem apparently. And so, and, but then it was the coach who sat you down and helped you yeah. through it. Yeah. With, um, you know, for the longest time, I I thought UNC, they're number one, you know, the seven, I obviously looked it up, you know, now I know facts, seven indoor titles. Um, I I just assumed that, I mean, I didn't know that UNC had not won mm -hmm. a national championship. I just thought, yeah, I, I would have guessed they've won two or three yeah. because they've been ranked one and they're always in the news. And I didn't know that that was uh, the monkey on the back um, with, but, um, when, when did you, you know, start to, uh, communicate with the coaches about the team itself? 
I think that it kind of going into my fifth year, like with um, with our, you know, because I had my senior year, obviously, and then with COVID, I got that fifth year. I think going into that year, I just like, I felt like, okay, time is ticking now. I don't know. For some reason, I didn't felt like it was ticking up until my fifth year. And I was like, oh, I only have one more year left. And like, I just, you know, like it just felt like time was ticking. Like that's how it felt to me. And I was like, granted, coaches have, you know, years of coaching in front of them. But for me, it was like that moment was like, okay, this is it. Whatever I want to do and whatever I want to accomplish. And it was selfish. Like I like selfishly was like, I'm the only senior graduating or the only fifth year graduating. So I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And that was kind of like how I felt like going into that year. But what I didn't realize was that, or what I, I guess I didn't notice was that we've had captains in the past and we've had leaders on this team. And I didn't realize that I was going to be a captain or a leader. That's what I didn't realize. And that was when I was like, oh, shoot. Like, And like people were looking at me and it was like kind of this question of like, you know, we'd have little things like, where are we going to eat? And everyone's like, I don't know, ask Soph, like, where are we going to eat? And I'm like, I'm not playing. Like, why is anyone like looking at me? Like, I'm not playing. I'm not, I don't care where we eat dinner. And then coach is like, yeah, just have Soph decide and we can go there. And so it kind of started with little things like that. It was like, okay, what are we wearing to practice for like, you know, we have like a, we had gym and we had to match in the gym. And like, everyone was kind of just like, we had a system where we would, you know, designate, um, somebody would come up with like the outfits for that week. So like, it's like Tuesdays we wear, you know, light blue and Navy and Mondays we wear all white or like, you know, so I'm just thinking, okay, I'm just kind of waiting around like, okay, like when are we going to get these outfits and like the, like the structure of like when we wear them and then someone texts me and it's like, Hey, so like, do you mind making the outfits? Like, we don't really know who else to ask. And I'm like, I guess like, so I'm like, so I just like send a picture of like what we're supposed to wear that week. And it was just like, all of a sudden though, like little things turned into like, okay, I'm like, took a step back and I'm like, um, I think I'm like doing a lot of like little things like here and there. And it's like, okay, coach is looking at me and it's like, the girls are looking at me and it's like, okay, there's a lot of responsibility. So I kind of just wrote down. So I, I kind of a little stressed out. It was like in probably October, we were all like, you know, I think we got, I think we got recognized either at a basketball game or a football game. And I was like, I wanted to wear all black and that's like kind of frowned upon at Carolina. It's like, you want to wear Navy. And I was like, well, you know, and we were getting recognized at a basketball game. And in my head, I was just like, I don't know if it was a, it was something where we had to like, I want to wear all black or whatever. So I was like, you know what? So I pitched it to coach and I was like, Hey, like, you know, is this possible? Like, can we do this? And he was just like, um, he's like, let me think on it. And then I kind of just started becoming that like small liaison between the girls and the coach. So it was like, the girls wanted me, wanted something that was like small or big, whatever it was. They were like, we'll just have Soph like ask, you know, like, so it was like, okay, we want to get to, you know, we wanted to go to dinner somewhere. And it was like, Soph will just ask. So I just started doing that. And it was just like kind of creating a bridge between the coaching staff and the girls. And granted, obviously coaches are super, um, they're super approachable. They're not hard to talk to at all. Like nicest coaches, I would argue in the country, like super sweet guys. And like, but it was just like, became easier. It was like, okay, I can, I'm comfortable. I've been here for five years. Like if the freshmen are struggling with something and they don't know how to talk to coach about it, I'll just go talk to him. And they were totally comfortable with that. And that was kind of just the, the situation that started. So probably in the fall of that year, um, 
and coach and through all this time coach never said self is the captain or self is the leader like that was the only thing that was like kind of uncomfortable i was like okay i feel like i'm doing these things so i don't i don't think i'm overstepping but coach never said anything the girls never said anything so we just kind of kept doing it that way with the little things turn into the big things um team chant tells a story about that oh yeah so that was actually fun so we um so it, our coach is very superstitious. So he likes to get to the courts at a certain time. He likes to do warm up a certain way. He likes to, you know, have food delivered at a certain time when we go to away trips. And he likes, you know, we've been, apparently we've been doing that same away huddle for like 18 plus years or something. I was like, oh my goodness, like that's absurd. So like we had season started and our first away match was at Auburn. And so we talked about, and coach always talked about, coach did like have a little bit of a flip switch. He was like, you know, we need to be fitter for Orlando and we need to do things differently. If we want to win at that final site in Orlando, we need to do things differently. And I think that was the one common theme that like the girls knew that like, okay, things are going to change. We didn't know what, but we knew that things were going to change. And we also agreed like we need to be fit and we need to be healthy for, for nationals at Orlando. And that was our goal. So like uh coach never talked about NCAAs. He never talked about winning. He never talked about Orlando. It was kind of this like shush, shush like thing. It was like, well, we're going to take one match at a time. And I was like, so I remember like, you know, we had a discussion with the girls and the coaches and being like, I think it's okay if we, if we talk about the final site, I think that's something that we can manifest, you know, it's something that we can create and we can create a comfortability around it. So it's not this like scary thing at the end. It's like, you know what, let's talk about it every day because that's a goal. Like if you think it's a goal, it's a goal for us. We should talk about our goals. So that was something that we changed a little bit was like talking about our goals and like, Every match leading up to Orlando, we were like, how is this match going to help us at the final site in May, you know, or in that tournament? So that was a big change. But in Auburn, at the at that, mat, at that um, match, we met the night before like we normally do at the hotel. And some coach has a book that we read through the fall. And then each of us, starting with the freshmen, presents on a chapter that they choose. So that's what our night before the match consists of. So we'll read a book and then the freshman, it starts with the freshman all the way up to the seniors. So the freshman was for Auburn. She was the first girl to, um, Reese was the first girl to, you know, present. And so she presented, she had an um, unbelievable, she's a really good artist. So she had an unbelievable, like kind of like a theory that like matched really well with like art and the chapter we read. And it was just like a beautiful, like she had well-written and she presented it. And so during that meeting, I was like, I talked to coach right after it or either right after or right before it, I think. And I was like, hey, coach, like, I think I'm going to pitch to the girls that we're going to change the huddle just for like a new beginning. Like you're talking about all this change. Let's just start with something fun. And he was like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, he's like, I've been doing this for like, you know, like a lot of years. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe we'll keep it. We'll, we'll experiment, but maybe we'll keep it. But ultimately, are you OK with us changing it? And he was like well, if you can provide why. And I was like, well, I think that we need something that's a little more intimidating. We need something that's a little bit more us. Like we have 10 girls on this team and most of them like can hit the crap out of the ball. So I'm like, but our huddle sounds like we're little girls that are scared. Like, why does it sound so, you know, quiet? And, and I, and he, and I was like, it's just kind of like, I remember going to away trips and being like, wow, I love like the Georgia huddle. I love the NC state huddle, or I love the, you know what I mean? Like there are schools where you like those huddles, like stuck, stuck out to you. And we're like, we want to have a huddle that people are like, wow, like that team looks scary. Like that team looks, and he was like, 
I mean, that's a good point. He was like, and I, and I told him that I was like, I think you'll carry into doubles because doubles is a sprint. It's six games. It's like when we just got out chanted in the first five seconds, like it does, I think, play a role in how we go out to that doubles match. So he was like, okay. And he was like very open and he was like, that's fine. So we worked on a huddle and we were like, we were like experimenting with it the night before at the hotel. We'd never done it before. And we're like, you know, we're trying all these things. And it was just like, oh, we have that Tar Heel chant that we did. And we incorporated that. And it was just like, it just became a lot more dynamic, fun and loud. And that was like what I think we needed. So I was like, guys, let's just test drive it against Auburn. And I think we played Wisconsin, Auburn and Wisconsin this weekend. If we hate it, never have to do it again. We'll just go back to the way that we did it. And if we love it, we'll keep it. I think it's fun and we'll carry that into the rest of the season. Oh my gosh, it stuck like crazy. And it was like something that was like so fun. We so looked forward to like someone being in the middle and like screaming and yelling. I mean, it looked intimidating. Like we actually looked like the team that we were, which was number one in the country. Like we're going to do this. We're going to go out there and we're going to like, we're going to be scary. And that was the big thing for the huddle. I would say we, we coaches are creatures of habit, but yeah, change. Uh, it comes to my mind with uh, the beginning of a tennis match. You, you was, were intimidating. Uh, Craig Tyler was with us for a long time. He's at the University of Illinois. And the warm-up they had was really a spinoff of the Peter Burwash traveling show. I mean, I knew where Tylee learned, you know, the ideas. And obviously, he, he transformed it slightly or differently, but it came from that. And I, my opinion would be that um, Craig Tylee was in the Big Ten and then Ty Tucker, the, the, the Ohio State team, how they come out and how they warm up. Um, my opinion would be that that would, that would have been a young Ty Tucker watching what Tylee did at Illinois. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it, it was different, but yeah, you just come out and you, yeah. you, you make a statement. Right. Uh, but, but it's also a thing it's, uh, besides a diversion was creative and then mm-hmm. it was, it was belonged to the girls. Right. I mean, you did it together. Um, with, um, brain typing, um, let's go back and talk about, um, your dad and your mom, um, you know, everyone becomes an individual. They, they are who they are, but you know, it has a lot to be said. There's a lot to be said for, you know, what people get from their parents. And we have a concept called PPP parental permission for pounding. And we could even sketch a cartoon and, you know, would be, be your father. He'd be first in line. I I, I love that. Um, tell us, I mean, we do know with brain typing, we have had uh, a segment or two on our podcast devoted just to that. On our website, Joel Trucker, um, just to those people listening to a podcast for the first time, uh, the article that made it all the way to the cover of Tennis Magazine is on our website. And it's, you know, Joel Trucker and Vic Braden is, is really based off the Myers-Briggs and then all the research that uh, yeah. John Nagel and now his son Jeremy have done. Um but with um, your father, um, what he does, I, I mean, I, I would recommend that you, you need both, like what you say your mom and your dad, but what your father, what he would present to, if he was to, to advise a group of tennis parents, what would be some points that you think he would make? He could write a book. If my dad could present to a group of tennis, tennis parents, parents what some advice? What, what advice would he give? I mean, in a lot of ways, his with his world, his work in the corporate world too is, um, 
you know, I don't, you know, he's not a Wall Street guy, but on Wall Street, a co coconut's yeah. a coconut. If you're a coconut, you're yeah. a coconut. No, I think he would tell them that tennis is a mar- microcosm of life. I think that would be like ultimately what he would say. And he would be like, the way that your kids act on the court is a direct reflection of not only you, but the way that they'll act in life. And you might think that that's dramatic or that's, you know, a little bit like exaggerated. But honestly, like after, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years of tennis, that's not an exaggeration. It is ultimately the truth. Like, obviously, like people have their moments and they have, you know, outliers and anomalies. But the way that kids acted on the court was a direct ref- like re- reflection of not only their parents, but the way that they were as beings outside of the court, like outside of those lines, they were almost that same person. And it kind of tells you a lot about somebody, the way that they can carry themselves. Like, you know, when it's three all in the third, how are you acting? Are you energetic? Are you reserved? Are you outgoing? Are you frustrated? Are you angry? Like when things get tough in life, like, are you optimistic? Are you reserved? Are you, you know, are you seeking outside engagement? Are you not seeking outside? Like, you know, like, I think it tells you a lot about who you are. And I think if my dad were to speak to parents of tennis players, he would tell them like, you know, making sure that you're cultivating an environment and uh, someone that you're proud of being like, that's my kid out there. That's something that like he would ultimately say is most important is like, you want to be proud of the way your kid is acting, let alone playing is a different story. I think tennis is like, it's highs and lows, you know, like there can be bad days, there can be good days, but the way you carry yourself, the way, you know, you speak to people, the way you interact with parents, the way you interact with coaches, that is something that will follow you and, and haunt you if you don't, you know, take it seriously. And that's something that he would probably tell parents is that, you know, what they do on the court may not seem like a big deal. And it's like, okay, you can leave this tournament and leave all that aside, but it shouldn't, it should be very important the way they carry themselves. You know, that should be something that's not taken lightly. And if they're not acting in a way that you're proud of, you shouldn't let them act that way. And whatever, whatever lengths you need to go to, to make sure that happens should happen. Wow. That's fantastic. What about your mom? What would she, is she, uh, my mom, you'd have to nudge her a little bit. She wouldn't, she wouldn't, my, I think, I think get my, in front of a group of tennis parents. Yeah, no, definitely. Like my mom, I ultimately, I think they, their core beliefs and values are the same. I think they, she would agree. Like she's like, granted, my dad would pull me off the court and my mom would leave, but either way they, they would not be proud of like, you know, the way I'm acting. It's not like they're going to sit there and take it. But I do think that my mom would say the same thing, but she would also say that like, you know, there's life lessons to be learned and you need to take the high road sometimes to learn them. And sometimes it's not about taking the shortcuts. It's not about going to the best coach in the country. It's not about going, you know, to the, you know, to those Florida academies. Sometimes it is about just like kind of being in the trenches, working on your game, doing the things that you need to do day to day. And like, she really values family and like, you know, who you are, like you can kind of tell like the kids that were raised by coaches. It's like, they're a little bit like, you know, they're just a little bit out of touch of like, talking to other parents, talking to kids, talk, you know, like it just seems like, okay, they need to hang out with their family a little bit. Maybe they need to like have a mom and dad moment or like, you know, so that I know there's different circumstances and stuff, but my mom really values like going to tournaments as a family and, and being there together. I mean, it was more reason for me to act a certain way because I knew like mom and dad are right there, you know, or I knew that my brother is playing in the tournament like next week. So it's like, okay, I don't want to embarrass him. You know, it's like, have you seen I as a sister out there? You know, like that's yeah. not. So I think that was, that was big for us. It's like kind of keeping that. I think we got like NC family of the year or something like that. So it was like, 
that's important to my mom. And like, yeah, they were really busy, but they would come out to all the matches if they could. My father used to say, uh, don't leave the, leave the house. Don't embarrass the family. Exactly. <laughs> With uh, one of the visiting parent, we were all sitting in a living room earlier and the gentleman from Michigan with a six-year-old asked your dad a question about parenting. And he said, it's not about winning and losing. And he's, he, you know, and he just ba basically said that, you know, you're, you're working on this in practice. He, he said several things, but you're working on this in practice. Why don't you do it when you play? You know, you go, I mean, just the way we, both your mom and dad, I know they, they watched me work for a long time because they're, you know, just, they're, they're everything. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're chauffeur as well. They're picking up and dropping off because yeah. obviously you, you very young and, and couldn't drive. Um, the brain typing very quickly, extrovert or introvert. Next section is sensate intuitive. The letter N is used because the letter I is always already used for introvert. Then, um, then you're a thinker, feeler, perceiver, judger. Uh, but you actually talk to the coaches. Uh, I guess we'll jump ahead where um, Dave Secker, who's been on a podcast a couple of times, and I think that, you know, he's been connected to the great base, I would say, 15 years. And this is really a story of counterintelligence, his intelligence and your intelligence from a tennis standpoint. But I was recently doing a, a, a workshop that he hosted at NC State. And he's the associate head coach under Simon Renshaw. And you, you trained in that building before David was there, but mm -hmm. Simon had came, came in right before you left. Right. And uh, David says, I asked you before we went on air, am I the only coach that ever called you Patel? And uh, he, he's when he, he was referred to you by your last name, Patel. We would have loved to have her on our team. But he did, and he said so many positives about UNC. He goes, the, the, fam the family culture, they get it, team, they get it. But he said she was a force. Um, you know, I guess you could talk a little bit about brain typing or, um, for our listeners, you ended up being the, the, you know, the captain, the, the lone captain, the MVP. And, you know, I have, um, your dad sent this to me as a, a, when you were presented at a, I'm not sure you call it a team gathering, the banquet, but mm -hmm. everybody's together and you make a presentation and made comments about so many things and a little bit about uh, each player. So, but there's an article I have written he here, then there's a press conference and then there's a documentary and it's just, um, it's, it's amazing. Some of the things that, uh, your coach said, um, my glasses on here. Um, her, this is about Sophia from, uh, her, one of her teammates wrote this, her positive impact and ability to bring energy to the team every single day were felt by every, everyone around her, including the coaches. The, routine, the reason our team was so successful this past season is because Sophia did off court how she rallied this team together. You know, again, that's from the head coach. Uh, well, juggling a full load of classes, she helped the coaches with donor relations, assisted with the media department, handled all scheduling for practice, meetings, conditioning. In her last year here, this is emotional. I mean, Sophia took on. Um, I'll get this off. I, I, am, a, I am an F. <laughs> Sophia took on more for this program than any player I've coached for 20 years. Um, with um, the um, the terms, you know, impactful, legendary, no one has done more for 
any one of our teams, um, forever indebted, getting emotional, team ambassador. And if, if we needed a rally, we're, we're going to, she, he didn't say Patel. Yeah. He's a nice guy. You're the person to be called to lead the rally. Um, but so, t- but tell us, uh, the, let's go into the counterintelligence with you and Dave Secker and doubles. You, your team lost conference. I mean, it is NC finals. I saw it online. I wasn't there in person, but, um, you know, that we have here, you brought this championship ring. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, why, what's, what, what took place? What unfolded for such, uh, amazing accolades, com, uh, compliments. Well, first of all, I think that being on a team that was so talented, it was just that we were always the favorite to win. It was just a matter of doing it and like getting it done. So one, just being on a team with nine girls that were just rockets, like on and off the courts, just like could, you know, play any style, any way against any style or any way. And just like, you know, really make, make, make a statement on the court. Like that was just the, that was just the big thing for, um, for the team to begin with. It's just that we had such a deep team, such a talented team. They were just a matter of doing what we needed to do to get it done and just, you know, having fun while doing it. So I think for me, like the, the biggest goal that I, that I just set for myself was like, I'm going to make it as easy as possible for these girls to play their best tennis. I mean, granted, I wasn't playing once season started and we were in the like, depth of matches and stuff like my goal was to make it as easy as possible for the coaches to do their jobs and the girls to do theirs so I guess that's how I looked at it was like I'm gonna lead by example I'm gonna do what I can because like there's only so ways so ways so many ways to give like on the court like the only thing I can give is my energy and my enthusiasm and my optimism and my positivity that was just how I thought I could give like can I you know beat them Probably not, especially when we get to like in the middle of season. It's like I can't really give in that tennis aspect that like a lot of the other girls could give. It's like they can show up, work so hard, and that's all they need to do that day because they're just so talented. And that's just what they need to do is show up. I need to show up and like bring an energy and like an enthusiasm that was like above and beyond because sometimes my tennis wouldn't speak for itself. And like, you know, there was moments where I felt like, okay, if I can't serve super hard or if I can't, you know, put balls in the court at the level that they need, then I'm going to be, you know, the reason that they want to be there at least. So like, that was kind of like what I made my goal is like, this was my purpose. Like, you know, I'm not putting all my tennis, you know, aside. Cause it's like my fifth year. Like I'm, I'm focusing on getting a job. I'm focusing on, you know, my life outside of tennis. So I was like, in terms of tennis, I honestly put aside my goals as a, as a player and put, as a, and I put my goals as like a, a person before that. And that was just kind of like, I want to be my best self. And sometimes like focusing on my serve for hours on end would not make me the best person. You know, like I would come out of that like disappointed. I would come out of that negative. So like I talked to coaches about it and I was like, look, like I really want to be there for this team. And as much as like, you know, I want to work on my game and I want you to help me work on my game as a player I think that it's going to take away from me as a person. And I think like that's kind of what I focused on. Like my last four years, I was granted this opportunity to be here another year. And I think I'm going to use that towards being the best person I can be 
And that's what I told coach and they were just totally on board and they were like, you know what? That's okay. If that's what you want to do, then we're going to do that and help you do that and let us know what the best way to do that is. And, and that's kind of like where it kind of just started where it's like, okay, I'm going to show up to practice and I don't have an excuse to not be happy because I'm not even working on anything that will make me upset, you know? So it's like looking for a job, but also like when I come on court, it was like, I'm going to bring energy. I'm going to bring enthusiasm. I'm going to be like, how can we get these girls to be the happiest they can be on the court? Um, the interviews afterwards, your coach um, mentioned that NC State had a system. They did, yeah. But, you know, teaching is information transfer, coaching is human relationships. So at that point, yeah, you know everybody so well. Yeah. So, the, you know, it's been interesting to learn more about the team bonding. But on the brain type, you know, should the, you know, you put two extroverts together, it's better to put an introvert, extrovert, even to which, which one plays in which, yeah. which court. Uh, but coming back to the press conference, um, a system to us is an organized plan. The great base is a system of systems. But Brian Cowboys was very positive. He said NC State and, 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 you know, Brian's teams have won three, uh, his UNC players have just read this this morning, won uh, the NCAA doubles title, not the, t the, t the team title, but the, you know, even individual champion, mm -hmm. double champion, they've won three titles. But he, in this press conference, he says they have a system. They basically are very, very good doubles. Right. But that's what I mean by counter that is that you, and then also you and I go way back where the toughest thing about being a servant volley or in doubles is in junior tennis is to find another player who serves in volleys. Right. And um, you know the history of it. So the, the girls that enter NC State, um, and it's actually open domain. If people listen to our podcast, Dave Secker is go, well, we basically serve and come in on the second ball. Right. You know, we're, we're going to come in and form that wall up at the net. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and certainly that's what takes place in, in other sports is, you know, it's like football. You know, you send us the film of your last game. I'll send you the film of my last game. And then I'll study your film, but I'll, you'll study my film and we'll, we'll play next week. Right. But, uh, um, but you, th you had a leadership role and, um, that, that, again, all the thank yous. Um, but you countered that with, and the, and re one thing that really must've helped out is the sets are a sprint. They're only to six. Yeah, they're only to six. I, I mean, mean, and who made that rule up? I mean, it's not even divisible by four, Yeah, but uh, yeah, why don't you comment a little bit on the, the big doubles point and what happened? Yeah, that was huge. Like, honestly, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I just knew that whatever happened last time was not happening again. And that was ultimately what coaches and the players were all on the same page about. And we were just like, we knew what they were going to do, which honestly seems like, oh, it's like, you know, common sense. Like, obviously, you know, they do the same thing. Like, what? So... They always serve T, pinch middle, and they're coming forward as a team. Well, like, as, you know, as, like, girls that are just, have been around tennis for so long, our girls are incredible players, like, greatest, you know, I would say, like, greatest of all time just in general as a team. And so I was like, we can do this. Like, you know, coaches were just like, let's just play a little bit more unpredictable. So we trained that week or that week leading up to NCAAs and just in general, like, throughout after ACCs, we're going to, we're going to play and grow our skill set that we have that we know can beat them or just any team that's coming forward pinching middle like that. Because, like, a lot of teams aspire to do that. It's just, like, can they do it consistently? Well, for the most part, no. Like, we try to do that. We try to, you know, pinch middle, poach, you know, do we serve T every time? No. But do we try to come in? Yes. But it's just, like, NC State has figured out how to do that consistently and effectively over and over and over again. And so they have formed this identity of doubles, which I was like, how nice is it that they have an identity that we can take? You know, 
we have an identity. I would say that our team has an identity that's like where we get along and we're going to have fun and we're just together. So our identity was together. That was, can anyone take that from us? Absolutely not. Like that was just, that was my concept. And that was just what I kept telling the girls over and over is they have an identity we can take. We have an identity they can't take. And that's just in my head, how I felt about it. It's my opinion. It's not, you know, that's not something that every coach will agree upon, but in my head, that's how we felt as a team. And so that's kind of like how we went about it is like, how do we take, take that identity? How do we take that doubles point from them specifically? So I think to do that was that they play, they play that system. They play that, you know, serve T pinch middle. I mean, so we just played, you know, we played to our strengths and, you know, it might've, you know, with no risk, no reward. So I feel like we played a riskier doubles, but it obviously came out with like the results that we wanted. It was like, we went line more. We took that first ball, like instead of taking it middle, we took it at them. You know, we mixed in those lobs. We changed the pace. We tried to stagger them. Like as the girls were trying to come forward, we tried to, you know, serve out, you know, you, so that was just like, it was just a small piece, but it was the big piece was the mindset was that we have something they can't take. They have something we can take. And that was the mindset that I think helped us to win that day. With, uh, I don't know if you knew this before I, I was, uh, you know, I had dinner with your parents and, uh, both brothers, uh, a month and a half ago or so with, uh, Diana Schneider, who's she's in a final, two fifty final today, and Natalia Sorkin, who's been a guest on their podcast, very good friends with her mother. Natalia asked me, make a long story short, what should she do? And I said, well, she go to NC State and learn to play from the service line in. And but with that, so um, you you lost in conference, you come back and you win. Uh, but you played them three times. It was the first, very first time she was at a pro tournament. Yeah, she was. And you had won 7-0. Yeah. And then, but we'll do it. It was not a 7-0 match. Like, it was definitely a lot tougher. It was a long match. And even the, even the, even the match that you won, uh, there's so much drama because so of college tennis, uh, how it can unfold. But but then they, beautiful Carrie Park that we talked about, they show up, go back to the doubles, but... Um, their player is there during conference, their number one player, Schneider. And, you know, she, she's, and this is compliment animalistic on the court, but they, and we'll, we'll put the cop, the copy of the documentary on a Facebook of, of, of your championship run oh, and yeah, the yeah. team. This would be fun for people to look at. Let me ask, we'll come back to the ACC in the crowd. Here's a question for you. You know, um, the cartoon Mutton Jeff? No. A little before your time. Well, you could also, listeners, look at the, just go to the UNC website and read the, read the player's background. It's amazing. You get online, but you and Scotty are Mutt and Jeff. Um, you're 5'1", and she's 6'1". <laughs> that's, it's, it's, yeah, she's my best friend. It's, uh, but that crowd, they had a very hostile crowd. They they out-recruited you. In other words, they had more red shirts at, that confer- at the mm-hmm. conference. I think from a documentary, you had more blue at the nationals. Yeah, we did. We did. I mean, we knew. We were like, this is about to be a dog fight. You know, so many kids, I think with the UTR especially, there's so much anxiety in junior tennis. It's like Jose Garrett said about 12 and under tennis, somebody's got to win. And um, I mean, for, you know, my, my son played at Ohio State and he played in, in final fours and, you know, it's you're, you could be out there three all your team wins you move on and then you know the audience and even um playing 
with a tennis channel there. Um, Robin Anderson, we have to do a semi. Uh, she's somebody who spent quite a bit of time with us. For she was first as a freshman. Stella Sampras said to me, do you know what Robin asked me? She said, are these matches being telecast? You know, you, you know people for the first time, this match is on Tennis Channel. There's so, so many things. But with, um, so then you go up 1-0. Yeah. You, and, but they, you had momentum, but I think they probably went in, probably is a weak word, but they went in going, we got a very good chance to win the doubles. Yeah, they definitely did. I mean, I think that they go into every match with doubles pointed ours and, you know, singles will take care of it. But, oh my gosh, like it was just a weight off our shoulders, which coach is right. Like he did speak on that a little bit. He said that I think we put our foot off the gas a little bit going into singles. And it's true. Like I think we felt that relief. Like, did I ever feel like we were going to lose? Absolutely not, especially after we won doubles. But I did think that there was like, you know, granted, I don't, I'm not out there. I'm not competing, but I know if I was, my foot would be off the gas a little bit too. And like, and that's just like something that we, we noticed. And I think the girls picked up on that and we were like, you know, we still are in this, like, this is still a match for us to take. And, um, that was just like huge. Like, I think that they, they, um, the NC state girls did not give in. They did not. I mean, you take that match, like maybe the first, you know, you take, you look at that match or you drop in at like, I don't know, hour three, you're not, you don't know who won the doubles point at that point. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's kind of where, where we, we like with our, us getting off the gas a little bit. And also it was our, our fourth match of that tournament. Like it was hot. Like, you know, we had a night match, which was nice, but I mean, we were tired. I know the girls were tired. Like I know they were fighting. Like that wasn't even in question. Oh, and the emotional stress. Yeah. I mean, that can't even, I, that's, that's the part where I struggle is like, you know, I'm leading a team of girls that I never will understand the stress that they're under. Like, that's what I told them every day is like, I will never understand how you feel but I can tell you how you look. I can tell you how it is perceived. I can tell you how it should be or, but I can never feel that. And that was kind of where like, you know, having Scotty there as like my friend and like my backboard of like conversation was like really hard. And it made the hard things a lot easier because I was able to be like, Hey Scotty, like, is this something that's appropriate for me to say? Is this something that's, you know, going to be received well? And there was times where she's like, so if like, you know, we can't be doing a team dinner. Like these girls are toast. Right. So like, and I think that was like what I needed to hear. And that's like, you know, so that made my life a lot easier. And and that's what helped me to be the best leader that I could be is that I wanted to be that teammate. They could rely on not that teammate they were afraid of or scared of, or like, you know, we got to do what Soph says. It's like, no, if I say something that you don't agree with, like, I want someone to speak up and be like, yeah, maybe six or seven of the girls think that, but I don't. Okay, let's talk about it. That's kind of like the that's the relationship that I wanted to cultivate. And I think I did and I think that it helped. So like my 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 opinion wasn't the last opinion. It was always like an open discussion and it was like, okay, these are the opinions, these are the thoughts. Now how are we gonna go about this? Well, even if they weren't opinions, you gave them the out to come back and yeah and rethink it. Um but no, just listening to people listening to this will just know that two two powerful things, you know knowledge and communication is that that's coming out large 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 and very clear by by listening to you with um i have to get this in um nca finals tim adams great guy great coach he works out met, met him through dave anderson's program out in dallas been guest in his house when i've gone out there to help players and coaches mm -hmm. and He's the one who told me that UNC is God's team. 
Yeah. And, and I said, yeah, why is that? And he goes, look at the sky. Yeah, what's yeah. the rhyme? Light. Duke is puke. Um, Wake is fake. NC State is the team we hate. Um, there's, there's the last part. I always mess it up, so I don't want to mess it up, but I know. It's like. Duke is puke. Yeah, Wake is fake. Wake NC is fake. State is the team we hate. Um, God's favorite color is Carolina blue. Um, you're not going to heaven in a red canoe. I think that's the way <laughs> it goes. But yeah. I have to look it up, but that's definitely, I think. But yeah, he's just, he's just, I've told people, and I've asked people who went to UNC, I said, you know why it's God's team? And a few people haven't been able to answer. But Tim Adams, look at the sky. So anyway, it was the NC finals, basketball, men. And I can't remember who the other team was, but UNC lost in the finals. And it was like the party starts and you have a, you're fortunate to be very strong. You're part of a strong alumni. There was a lot of people from Dallas mm -hmm. that had a UNC connection and they were at that, at that party and uh, going great, going great. But then. Yeah. So, but even, you know, NC state, I would say this is a, what an amazing run they've had from the, oh, yeah. like you were there when Simon came in yeah. and you, you know, know the program he inherited and. No, they worked they, really they've, hard. They've climbed way up and talk about working smart and working hard. But typically when people get there for the first time, they don't win. Mm -hmm. And it, um, even though it may have been with some different players, UNC had been there before. Yeah. UNC so, had been there before. They'd made the final four before. Um, semifinals was not something that we weren't, you know, familiar with. But definitely the finals felt different. It was like. No, my, my son Connor, uh, who a coach said, um, Carlin Navarro, he's best when the knife is at the throat. So he, he was a good pressure player. Uh, I mean, I could be a doting dad and rattle off what his record was in, in the NCAA uh, tournament. But um, so many people with tennis minds have been in the game a long time. First time he had a chance to win a gold ball in singles, uh, he was up five, love in the third. Oh, wow. And, um, but, you know, I remember Mark Dixon, uh, he was doing an internship with us and he said, that's the best thing. Um, because, you know, usually people lose. It's like a, a football team that's undefeated. Mm -hmm. They're better off to have lost. And if you study the, the history of football teams, they have, you know, they're doing really well, but they have, a, a, you know, leading up to the playoffs, they have a loss. And with, um, the, um, but we'll, we'll do that, um, with the documentary, um, and put that out. It's an amazing story, um, with, but then it's a matter of now they got to regroup and try to do it again. Yeah. And I think they will. They, I think, um, I mean, we have the talent to do it. We have always had the talent to do it. We have the depth. I think it's just a matter of the girls coming together and doing it together. Those things, here's one thought for private coaches in, in the junior development world, is it just keeps going and going. Yeah. The nice thing about college tennis is there's closure. You, mm -hmm. There's playoffs, it's the end of the year, and then you can you can start again. It's kind of crazy because like every last match of season, I've lost. And that was the only time in my five years where I could leave school. I mean, granted, I'm leaving forever, but I left school with a win, not a loss. Because we would always get to NCAAs, we'd always get to the Final Four, we'd always, and we'd always end on a loss. So that was like huge. Mike Carter, um, also been a guest in our podcast, been working at UCA forever. What he says about college tennis, he's very excuse me, very animated, and he says college tennis is great. You can um, lose doubles, lose singles, but you can 
win as a team. Still, still win as a team. You know, one, one last thing. Uh, one, a girl who's been in part, part of the Great Bays for a long time, uh, Lannis Hamilton. I think one thing would be a positive to say is there's so many, but she recently was um, played doubles for the U.S. team that won the Billie Jean King Jr. Mm-hmm. Fed Cup. And uh, she signed to go to UNC. And I really think a brain trust. I think that obviously with Brian and the other coaches, you have their trust, you have their respect. But it, in, in many ways, it would be very good to connect you with uh, Alanis Hamilton. And uh, Cole Reeves is a person in Arkansas who really did the hard yards, has taught her how mm-hmm. to play. I, I think eight or eight years old, nine years old, came to work with me. And I know you looked at her in line. You could just tell right away. Yeah, I mean, she's you, clean. Remember you said she hits like Matt Clore. Yeah, she does. So she, it's efficient. And, you know, she's been taught to play all over the court. And this is not really a shot at the USTA. Um, let me ask you, Patrick Gibson, do you remember why um, I called him appetizer? Um, because they would always get, they would always offer that up. As- I, I asked you that today. Is that, you know, UNC, they have um, obviously uh, a budget. Mm-hmm. For athletics and say, hey, you have appetizers. Uh, there's a lot of tennis players that don't even know what an appetizer is. So when you, when players and it's there's the USDA's had a revolving door, uh, just like any organization since 1987 when they entered player development. And I think you're better off when you can't afford uh, an appetizer. A, a girl like Coach, she ended up playing um, Maria Smith at Berkeley, so she's a good tennis player. Her mother passed away at a young age, but her mother was a world-class sprinter. Her father was a world-class sprinter. I think the mother had more more numbers in the record book than he ended up being a football player. And she was with us off and on. One time she was with us for like six months, and we have it all on film. And Ray Ruffles, I called him up because the old Aussies, you know, it's like he just, he just grounded in honesty. I said, do me a favor, watch this tape and call me back. And he did, and he said, you know, he agrees with everything on the tape and – um, he goes, Hey mate, but I'm leaving. I'm going back to Australia. I can, you know, do a, a stint for a couple of years with the tennis Australia and retire. Uh, um, but it would be good for, um, um, for you to connect with Alanis Hamilton and talk to her coaches. I know you're really busy. Um, let's come back to Alanis, but tell us what you're doing now. You're a graduate you're in the real world. Yeah. So I graduated in May. I had a month and then um, I work as an analyst at First Citizens Bank in Charlotte. So they shipped me off to New York City for six or seven weeks, and I was in an analyst development program, which was definitely a shock to my system. New York City was not for me, but um, I met a lot of people, and then I moved to Charlotte, and I'm here. I'm in Charlotte now. I've been here since I, September, and I've been liking it. I'm like my team that I have at work, and – I'm just learning every day, so I feel like I'm just trying to absorb as much as I can. But yeah, so with Atlantis, I'll, I'll get you in touch. I mean, the family's based in Dallas. Um, you've, I mean, I could tell you story after story. Um, you know, you're talking about the Australian Open on the next podcast. Is you know, people stay the course. Like say, uh, Ashen Kruger, she lost in the first round to the gal who was in the finals. A great athlete from China, Shang. And with a tabletop return, it's like at least some you should be coming in. And, you know, she was with Anderson for a long time. I mean, all these these podcasts, Rachel Rohrbacher, um, he's good at pickleball because of her grips, her swings, and she can go forward. Mm-hmm. And um, 
but I think it'd be good to that line of, you know, communication you have, but also the base of knowledge you have is to, um, even though you're, um, you're in Charlotte, it's a long, it's not that far away from Raleigh or Chapel Hill. Um, this sounds, would sound like an ego statement to, to a lot of people, but I've been doing this for 50 years and I could be a thousand miles away and have a better idea what's going on. Um, then people are right courtside, but you know, I mean, that's Atlantis was just over playing the Australian open. It's not based on one match, start the course, stay the course. And, you know, a young kid, you know, to go in and be, you know, it's the, the USTA, the Federation and traveling all over the world is that, you know, you need to go back to the well. What got you there is what you were working on with, um, uh, Cole Reeves to begin with. Um, but Great to have you on the podcast. I mean, if we have a donor out there for their great base tennis, it's a nonprofit. A uh, billion dollars would be better than a million dollars. But um, um, I'm not kidding when I say that, uh, Sophia, I mean, great to have her be the CEO of the great base. Because I remember when you were very young with those boys, um, you could be laughing with them. And then all of a sudden you could just snap and talk to those guys. And that, that's what a CEO has to do. That's what you, it sounds like. I guess that would be one last question with your, with the way you talk to the girls on the team, it wasn't all hit and giggles. I mean, there was times where like, Hey, this yeah, is, yeah. this is, it was all business. I mean, definitely. Like, I think I've had to have a lot of hard conversations, but just like you said, like communication is like one of the most important things I think will get you really far and not just tennis, but like life in general is communicating in a way that's effective. And I, and I don't think I ever yelled at anyone or I don't think I ever raised my voice. I don't even think I, sat down with anyone and reprimanded or anything because I don't think anyone deserves that at that level. It's like not about that. I think it's more about, Hey, like what can I do better that can help you to do better? And that's kind of how I approach things and how I feel like a lot of people should think about approaching things when they're leading a team or even being as a part of a team is just communicating in a way that people understand because otherwise it's just mumble jumble that just gets lost and it's not effective. Sophia Patel, thank you. Thank you very much for being a guest on the Great Base Podcast. Oh, yes, let's do this. Uh, tell us about, I'm sorry, I need to do this. The design of the ring, I mean, oh, it's, it's amazing. I, you could hold it up to the camera. I, most people don't look at our podcast on the YouTube clip, but tell us a little bit about that ring. Um, so in history, Coach has always had, like, any championship we win, the seniors get to design the ring for that year. So... We've always won indoors and, and for the most part, ACCs, but we usually get one ring at the end of the year. And I was the only senior, so I was like, Coach, like, I don't know, like, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, this is a big ring, it's a big deal. And he was like, well, you know, this is how we've done it. This is how we're going to do it. If you want to, you know, like, do it, this is, like, this is what we're doing. And so I got to partner with um, the athletic department and the media department and, you know, coaches and some of the staff on the on the design team and – we just came together and like, just, I don't know, designed this. It was really fun. We, they, I met with some people at, at Baron. I think Baron Rings is where I got it from. And we just came together and came with a design. I know there's some options with gold, but I, I'm not a big fan of gold. So this is silver and blue, but. I think with Roger Federer, when he wore the white jacket with gold and the shoes with gold mm -hmm. and Andy Roddick said, None of my family would wear that. None of my friends would wear that. Yeah, it's it just was, like I don't know. I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan, but I know I've seen the gold rings, like Super Bowl, and like some of the, some of the other championship teams at Carolina have some gold rings, and they look 
super dope, like really cool, but I just really like the silver. Uh, two types of thought, reflective and reactive. It makes me think of being in Illinois in a room like this and the coach Craig Tiley is with the players and the, the guys and they're, you know, does, they have input on uh, uh, what, what the jerseys are going to look like, or I should say the, the warm-ups and this and that. And I, I, I look back and they go, I was wrong, wrong, wrong. I go, you guys, just what, just wear whatever they get, they get for you. You guys shouldn't be in here worrying about that, but um, wrong, wrong, wrong. But um, no, it's fantastic. It's an amazing story, but I do think that um, this story should not be forgotten and in your young life and the, you know, obviously the career you have ahead of you. And I think for people listening, it is, to me, it's, it's not about the tennis. Tennis is a vehicle, like you said, your dad, a microcosm of life. And um, I'm 100% confident that what you pulled off with uh, the team, the experience you had is that you'll be able to do that down the road. As long as times. I have a team like I did at Carolina, I definitely will be able to. Yeah. The dream team <laughs> with, uh, but even sometimes when it's not the dream team um, with uh, to turn people around, the turnaround yeah. and you, you, you guys, your team, I shouldn't say guys, the gals um, from the outside. I don't, I, I mean, I don't, wouldn't, wouldn't have really seen it as a turnaround because you know, you've I know. been right at the very yeah. top, but it's just that final step. And it was great that you're so much part of it. But uh, again, thanks. Thanks for having me. Coach. Adios. Wave goodbye to the camera. Thank you.